Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, your breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelous, marvelous, yikes, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration, what a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like a living book, you authored me from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you, the days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful. God, I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count them any more than I could count the sand of the sea. Oh, let me rise in the morning and live always with you. Yes, thank you, Bree. <laughs> um, so we've, we've basically made an argument over the last couple months that, um, that a joyous life is a committed life, right? A full and whole life in which we give ourselves away to something larger than ourselves, to a cause or a kingdom, uh, to a calling, a vocation, uh, to a community, to a membership, to others. These commitments we enter in freely with eyes wide open because we are known, because we are known exhaustively. The commitments we make, we enter into not because simply we chose them, but because we were chosen in them. In fact, most people would say, especially those who have given their lives away to, again, a cause, a kingdom, a commitment to others, would say in some ways that they didn't choose the thing that they gave themselves to, but it chose them, right? You ever, you know, you ever recognize that in people's stories and how they told their story? It feels like when they're doing the thing that they are made to do, when they feel like they're made to do, it's like that chose them. And in some ways, isn't that what Psalm 139 has told us? That we're exhaustively known. That, that we're grounded in the knowledge of God, better God's knowledge of us. That we are, as the psalmist said, an open book to God. As far back as we, know, as we go, God knows us. That like a living book, God authored us from the conception to birth and through all the stages of our lives. That our life is actually unfolding. The very things that are in us that that we want to do actually come out of God's actual orchestration in the formation of who we are and becoming who we're becoming. Therefore, everything for which we are fearfully and wonderfully made, reverently set apart, everything that, again, that we kind of know ourselves to be and to do, the very particulars of who we are and are becoming, the very unique people, places, and things to which we commit and to which make up our everyday living are not the product of autonomous choices or even in the pursuit of a moral life simply for morality's sake, but rather the fruit of relationship. They're unearthed in the very soil for which they were birthed. Our lives, individually and collectively, lived in God's life. Our life lived for God and for others. At home in Him is the way Jesus tells us in John 15. He invites us to abide in him as he abides in us, to make our home in him and he in us. And through that abiding, that living, that being home with God, we come to know what he knows. We're called friends. He lets us in to all that the Father's up to. And we know, as we know what he knows, we know the very things that we long for, the things that would complete and satisfy our soul are the very same things that he desires. And so we want what he wants. And that the ultimate maturation of those things is love, and that we love what he loves. All the practices that we've introduced over this series or that we've reintroduced through Psalm 139 
have been to help us be at home in our life with God and for God and with others. Helping us to love what he loves in a way that he loves as our end, our perfection. Encouraging us to hope for what he and we desire as the energy that keeps us striving for the true and the good and the beautiful, even in the dimness of, of everyday life. All the practices that we've introduced and reintroduced in Psalm 139 are meant to enable us to live day by day, step by step, in what we see or what he shows us in the openness of faith. Do you remember how we started the series? I mean, I know it's been a little bit. But we said that one of the ways that we mature in our God-crafted commitments is by listening to the stories of others. Remember how we said that? Psalm, uh, Hebrews 11 is this, this, this great history of faith. And at the end of Hebrews 11, beginning of Hebrews 12, it talks about what Jesus committed his life to and how, how he knew himself and he went willingly to the cross for the joy that was set before him, that he might be in union and fullness with the Father, fully who he is. And that, that, that idea of what Jesus has done that we look to and we follow comes not to us just individually in, in isolation, but comes to us out of a long history of faith mixed with other people who have been trying to walk this same path out as we have. We said that there is something about listening to other stories that captures us, whether it be across a cup of coffee or sitting in a congregation, through written words or scripted portrayals, or even motion picture images. The unfolding story of another is, has intertwined our hearts and minds really since the, the very beginning of human history. The universality of this engrossing entanglement of story is that, quite naturally, when another story is being told, we cannot help but think of our own story. Right? It's not just that the story is told well, that's great, but it's often because we find ourselves in the story. And we can't help but find ourselves in stories being told. When we listen, read, or watch, we're also comparing, contrasting, and imagining. We hear similarities and differences, no matter how slim or resemblance or gaping the variance. We imagine ourselves in the story whether in aspiration or gratitude or sadness or loss. We may even for the first time recognize patterns and depth and purpose of our lives in the same as they come to light in another story. So today, we're going to start, we're going to finish where we started, just like Psalm 139 does. Remember how we talked about in Psalm 139, the very first verse is, the psalmist says, you have searched me and you have known me. How does the psalm end? As we've learned over and over again. Search me, O God, and know me. The psalm begins and ends in the same place, and so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to conclude our season in Psalm 139 in the prayer of examine by me reading to you a story and letting that story and the exhortation of its author be one that calls us to our full and forever life in Jesus, one that is our final call to do what Jesus did and say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So sit back, relax, and just for a few minutes, let's listen, okay? So the story comes from a guy named Frederick Buckner in one of his, one of his books. It's not a fake story. It's not a fiction story. It's a true story. Um, it's him talking about his faith. And so let me just read it to you. So sit back, relax, listen. Try to stay with me. It won't be super long. Buckner says, a year or so ago, a friend of mine died. He was an Englishman, witty, elegant, multifaceted. One morning in his 68th year, he simply didn't wake up. It was about as easy as a way to go as he could possibly have done it, but it was not easy for the people he left behind because it gave us no chance to start getting used to the idea beforehand or to say goodbye either in words, 
if we turned out to be up to it, or in some awkward, unspoken way if we weren't. He died in March, and in May, my wife and I were staying with his widow overnight when I had a short dream about him. I dreamed he was standing there in the dark guest room where we were asleep, looking very much himself in the navy blue jersey and white slacks he often wore. I told him how much we had missed him and how glad I was to see him again. He acknowledged it somehow then. He acknowledged it somehow. Then I said, are you really there, Dudley? I meant, was he there in fact, in truth, or was I merely dreaming? His answer was that he was really there. Can you prove it, I asked him. Of course, he said. Then he plucked a strand of wool out of his jersey and tossed it to me. I caught it between my thumb and forefinger, and the feel of it was so palpably real that it woke me up. That's all there was to it. It was as if he'd come on purpose to do what he had done and then left. I told the dream at breakfast the next morning, and I hardly finished when my wife spoke. She said that she'd seen the strand on the carpet as she was getting dressed. She was sure it hadn't been there the night before. I rushed upstairs to see for myself, and there it was, a little tangle of navy blue wool. Another event. I went into a bar in an airport not long ago to fortify myself against my least favorite means of transportation. It was an off hour, so I was the only customer and had a choice of the whole row of empty bar stools. On the counter in front of each of them was a holder and a card stuck in it advertising the drink of the day or something like that. I noticed that the one in front of me had a small metal piece on top of the card that wasn't on the others, so I took a look at it. It turned out to be a tie clip, and somebody must have stuck it there. It had three letters engraved on it, and the letters were CFB. Those are my initials. Lastly, this. I was receiving communion in an Episcopal church early one morning. The priest was an acquaintance of mine. I could hear him moving along the rail from person to person as I knelt there waiting my turn. The body of Christ, he said, the bread of heaven. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven. When he got to me, he put it in another word. The word was my name. The body of Christ, Freddie, the bread of heaven. Now, the dream about my friend may well have been just another dream, and you certainly don't have to invoke the supernatural to account for the thread on the carpet. The tie clip I find harder to explain. It seems to me that, mathematically speaking, the odds against it having not just one or two, but all three of my initials in, in the right order must be astronomical. But I suppose that could be just a coincidence, too. On the other hand, in both cases, there is the other possibility, too. Far out or not, I don't see how any open-minded person can a priori deny it. In a way, it is that other possibility as a possibility that is at the heart of everything I want to say here. Maybe my friend really did come to me in my dream, and the thread was his sign to me that he had. Maybe it is true that by God's grace, the dead are given back their lives again, and the doctrine of the resurrection of the body is not just a doctrine. He couldn't have looked more substantial and less ectoplasmic standing there in the dark. And it was such a crisp, no-nonsense exchange we had with nothing surreal or wispy about it. It was so much like him. As to the tie clip, it seemed so extraordinary that for a moment I almost refused to believe it had happened at all. I think that's worth marking. Even though I had the thing right there in my hand, my first inclination was to deny it for the simple reason. I suspect that it was so unsettling to my whole common sense view of the way the world really works that it was easier and less confusing just to shrug it off as a crazy fluke. I think we're all inclined to do that. But maybe it wasn't a fluke. Maybe it was a crazy little peek behind the curtain, a dim little whisper of providence from the wings. I had been expected. I was on schedule. I was taking the right journey at the right time. I was not alone. What happened at the communion rail was rather different. There was nothing extraordinary about the priest knowing my name. I knew he knew it. 
And there was nothing extraordinary about him using it in the service either, I learned later, because it was a practice he not infrequently followed. But its effect on me was extraordinary. It caught me off guard. It moved me deeply. For the first time in my life, perhaps it struck me that when Jesus picked up the bread at his last meal and said, this is my body, which is for you, he was doing it not just in a ritual way for humankind in general, but in an unthinkably personal way for every particular man, woman, and child who ever existed or someday would exist. Most unthinkable of all, as far as I was concerned, maybe he was doing it for me. At the holiest of feasts, we are known not just by our official names, but by the names people use who have known us longest and most intimately. We are welcomed not as the solid citizens that our Sunday best suggests we are, but in all our inner tackiness and tatteredness that no one in the world knows better than we each of us know it about ourselves. The bitterness, the phoniness, the confusion, the irritability, the half-heartedness. The bread of heaven, Freddie, of all people. Molly, Bill, ridiculous little what's-her-name, boring old so-and-so, extraordinary. It seemed a revelation from on high. Was it? All that's extraordinary about these three major events is the fuss I've made about them. All that's extraordinary about these three major events is the fuss that I've made about them. Things like that happen every day to everybody. They are a dime a dozen. They mean absolutely nothing. Or things like that are momentary glimpses into a mystery of such depth and power and beauty that if we were to see it head on, we would be annihilated. Things like that, these three little things, these momentary glimpses into a mystery of depth and power and beauty that if we were to see it head on, we would be annihilated. It sounds a lot like the psalmist. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Bugner would say that the difference between seeing the momentary glimpses for what they are, more than they are maybe, we might say, more than merely unconnected happenstances is a matter of faith. Faith to say, yes, there is a God in whose story is my story. Or faith to say, no, whatever happens, happens, and what you choose it to mean, it is all that there is. Both responses require faith. It requires faith to say, yes, my story unfolds in God's story, or no, it's just a simple little thing, a little momentary thing that happens, a coincidence here or there. The faith that completes our joy is, as the author of Hebrews contends, the faith that says yes, a faith that is open to something beyond, outside of ourselves. For faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The author then lists the cloud of witnesses from which our faith is inherited, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and the like. And he says, those who have gone before us, those who have told stories of faith, who lived the stories of faith, all these died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them, glimpsed them, greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, for as the writer of Hebrews says, for people who speak thus, who name these moments for what they are, who see these moments for what they are, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Make it clear that they're seeking something more. Faith, says Bugner, is homesickness. It's a lump in the throat. It's less a position on than a movement toward. Less a sure thing than a hunch sometimes. Faith is waiting. Faith is journeying through space and through time. 
After all, if we think about it, and this is what Bugner argues, that if someone were to come up and to ask me to talk about my faith, it is exactly the journey that I would eventually have to talk about. The ups and downs of the years, the dreams, the odd moments, the intuitions. I would have to talk about the occasional sense that I have that life is not just a series of events causing other events as haphazardly as a break shot in pool causes the billiard balls to careen off in all directions. But that life has a plot, the way a novel has a plot. That events are somehow or other leading somewhere. So on 139 in the prayer of examine, I have, um, at least I pray, shown us that our lives indeed are leading somewhere. That they're authored as they are in our unique togetherness, our reverent set apartness. I hope that we've learned that, right? That like that what we can all say, especially over two months in Psalm 139 in the prayer of examine, and hopefully long before that, that our life is not a series of random events, that the things that happen to us in our daily lives is not a series of random events. But rather there is something that we're caught up in, something that we're called to, something that that infuses our life, that our life is infused in, that indeed our life is leading somewhere. Yet the truth is that this set-apartness that we long for, the holiness that is what God gives us is not a human quality of virtue. Holiness is Godness, and as such, it is something people do not do themselves, but something God does in them. This set-apartness that we long for in life, the thing that, that drives us to get up every day and enter into life, isn't something that we do for ourselves, but something that God does in us. Often unexpected, never earned, making no conditions, with no strings attached, a free gift. And in that way, Holiness, becoming holy, is a lot like grace. Grace, contends Bugner as he recounted his story, is God in his givenness. Faith is not sui generis. That is, it's not independent or isolated. We don't just have faith on the ideas of things. We have faith in something, in relationship to something, in response to the givenness of grace. Faith has given us a glimpse of something, however dimly, Men and women of faith know they are strangers and exiles on the earth because somehow and somewhere along the line they have been given a glimpse of home, of their full and forever life with God and for God with others. Maybe the tangle of navy blue wool, says Bugner on the carpet, was grace. Even if it could be proved, it had only come from my own sweater. By grace we see what we see. To have faith is to respond to what we see by longing for it the rest of our days. By trying to live up to it and toward it through all the wonderful and terrible things of life. By breathing it in like an air and growing strong on it. By looking to see it again and see it better. Isn't that what the prayer of examine is? Isn't that what Psalm 139 encourages? Isn't that what the prayer, search me, O God, and know me? Is that not a looking to see it again and to see it better? To lose faith is to stop looking. To lose faith is to decide that all you ever saw from afar, like Noah and Abraham and all of those who have gone before us, was just your own best dreams. Living by faith is a way of paying attention. Wagner says, page by page, chapter by chapter, the story unfolds. 
Day by day, year by year, your own story unfolds, your life story. Things happen to you. People come and go in your life. The scene shifts. Time runs by and runs out. Maybe it is all utterly meaningless. Maybe it is all unutterably meaningful. If you want to know which, pay attention. Pay attention to the grace. Pay attention to the unexpected sound of your name on someone's lips. Pay attention to the good dream. Pay attention to the odd coincidence. Pay attention to the moment that brings tears to your eyes. Pay attention to the person who brings life to your life. Maybe even the smallest events hold the greatest clues. If it is God that we are looking for, as I suspect we all are, maybe the reason we haven't found him is that we're not looking in the right places. So pay attention to the graces, to the journey in search of a homeland. That's what faith is. That's what we're called to. The prayer of examine as a daily, weekly, regular routine is one way of looking to see and respond to God's givenness again and better. So for one last time, we're going to enter into the prayer of examine to pay attention to all the little details, all the things that seem so insignificant or easily passed by, or they could be easily just a one in a million, you know, just anything that you just kind of shrug off. Or they could be so much more if we're only paying attention. So get in a comfortable spot. Take a deep breath. Close your eyes for just a second. Letting yourself rest in the presence of God with you. Knowing that what you know in this moment to be true, that God is with you, has been true of every single moment of the week that you just went through. Now quietly, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you as you review the week that you just went through. Just say, Holy Spirit, Help me to see you with me this week. Imagine you're sitting there with Jesus. He's got a remote, and he's streaming through your week. Let him stop on the episodes at any part of the week that he wants you to see, to reflect on. Don't try to just come up with something. Just give the control over to Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, help me to see what I need to see. And as Jesus stops the scenes flashing by, notice those times when you were aware of God's presence, when you were open and responsive to him, when you felt you were moving towards God. What was going on in those scenes? How random could they have been, might they have been? What did, they, what did they solidify in your heart? Or I'll point you toward. I'll give you just a few minutes to sit, to listen, and to review the week. If you forget what you're reviewing, just look up on the screen. There will be a little prompt that says movement number one. Um, give you a little thing to look for. And then in just a minute, We'll just thank God for his graces and awareness of them, okay? So you've got about two minutes to just sit and to review your week 
noticing when you were aware of God with you and all the ways that He made you aware of Him with you. If you haven't done so already, just take a minute to thank God for His graces and the awareness of them. Just take a minute to, um, yeah, just to be grateful for Him with you.
now in that same posture of reviewing the week and listening to the Spirit, letting Jesus stop you on moments throughout the week, in that same kind of heart and mind, this time, ask the Spirit not to just to show you where He was with you, but to show you the moments where maybe you were less aware of His graces and His presence, whether because you were busy or because you just didn't want to be. Maybe where you, even you were aware and you chose not to move towards Him, but rather to move away from Him. Notice those times when you were not aware of God's presence, when you felt closed off to Him or where you were moving away from God. Again, where maybe you might have missed those graces. So we're just going to take a few minutes again and ask the Spirit to review our week, to show us and let us stop on those times, as hard as that might be, those times where we missed it. Because remember, the idea of living by faith isn't simply just to pay attention to where God is with us, but to get better at paying attention to the God is with us. And this is a part of it. To notice where we fail to notice, or struggle to notice, or willfully unnotice things, right? So, in the confines of God's love for you, in a place where God has already been with you, and so like, so you're not missing, you're not, you're missing it doesn't mean you miss out on it, right? He's already there, so it's a safe place to notice. So bow your heads, close your eyes, ask the Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me this week where I wasn't paying attention. Show me this week where I saw you but didn't weren't I just wasn't open to you. You just have a couple minutes to to ask and to listen.
haven't done so already, just take a moment to thank God for His grace even in your blindness and withdrawal. The beauty of Psalm 139 has taught us that there is nowhere we can go from His presence, nowhere we can hide from His knowledge of us, nowhere inside or outside of us that, um, that keeps us from Him. So thank God for His grace in the midst of your blindness and withdrawal. Ask Him for an open and responsive heart. Just take a minute to do that. The revelation of grace, of graces, always calls us to believe, always calls us to faith. When we see God with us, even when we see where we failed to see God with us, we're called to faith. Whether we choose it or not is up to us. Whether we choose to respond and to be open to God is our choice. Faith is openness to see, to be shown what is often unseen, the very presence of God for, in, and through people, including yourself. The prayer of examine helps us see what God shows us, see the truth that God is with us, what's often unseen, but it always leads us into more faith. So, Reflecting on the graces revealed. Write down or just pray. You can write this down if you have little notes or you can do it in your phone or just whatever. But write down a prayer where you need God in the coming week. Where he is inviting your openness, directing your steps towards someone, something, or in a different direction. The prayer of examine always is a moment to remember, to see the truth of where we're at and in whose life our life is unfolding in. It also leads us to wait for that same reality to take place tomorrow. So pray that. However the Spirit leads, whatever God is giving you and showing you, pray for openness, for direction, for something or someone for Him to draw you to. And then we will, in just a second, sing together. So I'll let you pray, and then Chaz will, will lead us in worship.